Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by, and that is what's happening today. Somehow it is July, and that means our book club pick for this month is David Yoon's sci-fi-ish, thriller-ish novel, Version Zero. It is about Max. He is a dude who works at Ren, which is, I'll just say it's a social media company that everybody uses, but everybody kind of hates. So, you know, fill in the blank however you need to in real life. When his bosses ask him to help design a way to collect even more data from Ren users, he has concerns. He gets fired. So he and his buddies cook up a way to get back at the industry. There's a love triangle and a reclusive billionaire and a lot of scheming. That's all I want to say for now. Stay tuned for the super spoilery discussion group on the book later this month. Today, it is a spoiler-free interview with David Yoon, who's here now. David, hi. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here. Oh, yay. So um, as I I mentioned a little bit, like this book is about a lot of things. It's action-packed. It's big and bold. I feel like it's also full of some really interesting ruminations about what the internet is and what the role of tech should have in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get to some of that philosophy stuff because I think it's really interesting. But first, I'm curious to hear about when you first started thinking about this book as it is. I know you worked in tech for like 20 years, right? Uh, it, was, it was closer to like 13 or 14. Oh, okay. um, but still, you know, a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. I started from the beginning of the internet. I worked as a web designer, and then we were called interface designers. And then after a while, we were called user experience designers because we had mm-hmm. um, to consider, like, the whole, like, how do you bring customers on board? How do you keep them? How do you let them do what they want to do easily? But also, how do you get them to do what the business wants them to do? So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of mind games going on. Um, yeah, and, you know, I was mostly inspired when I, I worked for all kinds of companies. I worked for like social media and cybersecurity, but I also worked for an ad tech company. And that was one of the most interesting jobs because it wasn't making the advertisements. It was, it was making the technology that served up the advertisements. Hmm. So this is the company where we build profiles off of users based on their behavior. And the funny thing is everyone I worked with had ad blockers installed on all their devices. Hmm. I mean, to, to a person, and these are all very smart, nerds you know and we hated the product that we were making it was we were we were totally i like to say the non-smokers working at philip morris <laughs> so, like, so i was like this is interesting isn't it this paradox i wonder if there's a story here that's an intense analogy to you sir <laughs> <laughs> so i that's interesting because like i mean in that instance I don't know. I could see a world where someone is serving up ads that do benefit people. You know what I mean? Like, I think there maybe is a possibility of some good coming out of that, but it seemed like unequivocally too complicated to everybody who worked there. Oh, I mean, 
there are we we would complain that like um instagram ads in particular were were just really good we'd be like ah oh, they know us so well um and there's a scene in version zero where they take some, you know, anonymized data and they de-anonymize it. And it's surprisingly easy to do that. That's actually pulled from an actual conversation I had at my job where we would look at a user profile and look at all their data. And we could pretty much pinpoint, you know, what neighborhood they lived in, at least, without mm-hmm. even trying very hard. <laughs> so, wow. so that was the part that, um, that's the flip side of the coins. So you got these great ads on for jeans or whatever on Instagram. And on the other side, you have all this tracking data that gets sliced and diced and cut up and repackaged to different vendors. And that's the part that we made everyone install ad blockers on their devices. Hmm. It's interesting because, I mean, obviously version zero is fiction, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's also, uh, uh, even based on the conversation we've had so far, so based in reality. Oh, yeah. I mean, I started this book, man, it was like five, four or five years ago. And um, Mm -hmm. this is before the rise of TikTok. And it it kept changing so quickly. And and it would get crazier and crazier sort of beyond what I would imagine. And so I kept having to sort of keep up with how things were changing. But at, at the core, there was a fundamental issue with technology that stayed the same, you know, and that was issues of trust and issues of like what happens when you get millions of people hiding their identity online and behaving badly Mm -hmm. so it it made me wonder like what the heck is civilization like how do you define civilization you know can you have civilized society when you don't know who's talking and you can't even get a response from them and that's sort of what the internet can be at its worst is Mm -hmm. just everyone shouting in the dark (laughs) Yeah, that reminds me, there are a couple of really interesting concepts that come up as as your characters are just sort of like sitting around daydreaming with each other. Um, and they're, you know, I would say pretty idealistic, super smart young people who had jobs in tech. One of them, there's a conversation that that goes Akiko, who's Max's childhood friend. She says, I just remember that the Internet was supposed to be this awesome place that would bring the world together. Yeah. And Max responds, it did, but not always in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that reflects your own personal beliefs? I mean, I don't know, like you did a Reddit AMA after publishing version zero. Like, wh- what's your own relationship with the Internet like at this point? Uh, I mean, it's kind of the relationship that I have with and I think all of us have with anything in modern capitalism. <laughs> you know, I remember I remember like we used to want to boycott certain companies because they behave badly and you can do that up to a point until you realize that all companies are compromised morally mm-hmm. and it gets even more complicated when you use an app for instance and that app could contain any number of code libraries by companies that you've never heard of or aren't even aware of and so what do you do in that case um what do you do like when the car that you drive has a spark plug made by a company in hungary that you know violates human rights so it just it is the default state of our of our capitalist society is to live with moral paradox and moral conundrums. And the Internet kind of is a really obvious uh, way to visualize that. You can really see that the Internet can be very cool. Like I did the Reddit AMA and it was awesome. I loved it. Mm. But Reddit is also notorious for posting you know, pretty awful stuff and enabling mm. some pretty awful stuff. 
and you can't there is no what you should do in that situation that you can only accept that that is the situation what you do with that i have no idea well it reminds me too of that idea of like there are no right choice there are no good choices to make in these instances too you know yeah yeah and i i'm still trying to piece that together too like what does civilization mean when you have this sort of anti-civilization trends happening and what does what does society mean and what does trust mean when you have these fundamentally untrustworthy systems that we inhabit it's it's such a huge issue that i I can barely find the words to even sort of talk about it you know let alone figure out how to live in it you know a lot of people come up to me because of this book and they're like do you have any advice on how to how to stay safe on the internet (laughs) like first of all i am so not a like a tech safety expert and second of all uh no i have no advice (laughs) (laughs) all right i'll delete that question Um, you mentioned that as you were, you know, over the course of the years that you were writing this book, things, the internet, like the landscape changed in ways that you couldn't have even imagined. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, it's, I think you, this book really points out what's, what can be so farcical about all of it too. I wonder, like, did, as you were writing it, did you think of version zero as satire at all? Because it definitely has some of those elements, I think. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you you can't take the internet seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just can't. I mean, you've got it's it's sort of this bizarre Frankenstein monster where you had it was born from like '60s hippie idealism. You know, both Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were were part of that culture. You know, back in the day, mm-hmm. white dudes with long hair. <laughs> yeah, and they they really believed like Max in the book. You know, our hero believes that technology was a chance to remake reality in a, in a good way. It was like utopian thinking. Yeah. But then you combine that with the capitalist society, especially venture capital society, mm-hmm. which demands massive scale and, and uh, endless growth, which is kind of a, a weird way of thinking because nothing in nature is infinite and nothing in nature grows forever. And mm-hmm. then you wind up with this fundamental paradox of how do we squeeze more blood from the stone but also make the world a better place. And, and they never score up. They never score up. That's why all, at, at, at a certain point, all you can kind of do is laugh um, because Facebook still, I forget what their slogan is, but for a long time, it was like, what was it? It's like a place to, to connect with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And TikTok is a place to hang out and have fun. And Instagram is a place to, you know, but it's not. They're like very, very, sophisticated the world's most sophisticated data collection and advertising systems ever created by humans yeah and so the fact that there's such a discrepancy between the sloganeering and the engineering it's just at a certain point it's just really really funny and so yeah you have to just satirize it can you give an example of i I think one of the funny i mean there were a lot of funny aspects of this book but i think one of the funniest were the names of some of the big tech ceos that you came (laughs) up with can you tell us some of them um yeah there was what uh Jonah's friend mm-hmm. um and who I Jonah's... was listening to the audiobook for a long time I thought it was like a friend of some guy named Jonah <laughs> <laughs> I had to rewind I was like oh okay got it got it <laughs> I mean I I love stupid names and then like I love satirical names mm-hmm. um because I grew up on like Dr. Seuss and Kurt Vonnegut and you know yes. and there's also uh River Askew but my favorite <laughs> my favorite has to be Linda Belinda who is like the CEO of this Reddit-like 
company. And, you know, Reddit can be a total echo chamber that just amplifies itself mm. out of control. And so Linda Belinda, I thought, was a perfect name for, for someone <laughs> who runs a company like that. Um, I think a lot of my favorite parts were actually the conversations between Max and Akiko. And another one that happens is um, when Akiko mentions the idea of two-way links. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I thought it was really interesting and I had never really thought of it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was... Back in the day, you know, we had, um, what was it, like BBSs. You dial in and it depended on which one you went to. The most famous one was the well. And the best ones were the ones where you knew who you're talking to over and over again. And it was a community. It, it replicated a small community. But with scale comes anonymity in any system. If you are in a small town and you're driving, you pretty much know who you're you're dealing with on the roads. But if you're in Los Angeles like me, then the cars on the roads become this massive anonymous system. Hmm. And so one-way links are another form of anonymity. Like I can just kind of throw something out and then run away and you'll never see me again. Um, whereas two-way links means there's some accountability. So if I link to something, if I make a comment on something and it links back to me, the commenter, then hmm. there's some sort of accountability and traceability. And that's closer to a small community model if I run into a room and everyone knows who I am, I'm going to be cognizant of that and make sure that I behave well. Whereas if I live in a big city and I run into a room with a helmet on so no one can see my face and start screaming obscenities mm-hmm. and then run away, then it, it, everyone just is left being upset and feeling kind of awful. And that that's what Akiko's really getting at is when you take a huge group of people and give them anonymity and then um, massive power. Hmm. That's a really useful analogy. It makes a lot of sense. Why don't we do that? Because it's inconvenient. <laughs> it just—it was just sort of built like if you read these these um, accounts of the early ARPANET, it was really built without security in mind because it, they all knew each other, um, and they didn't have to worry about who was on the road. Essentially, yeah, totally. There was an honor system, and um, they all followed it. And then we just were like, okay, let's scale this up to billions of users and see what happens. Have you imagined what your life would be like without the internet? Oh, I don't have to. I remember what it was like. It was great. <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. I just feel like it's changed so much. Like, I I don't, I mean, I I was in high school when the internet started, or maybe junior high when the internet was uh-huh. like, or, you know, like, I, I was a Napster kid, which was awesome. Um, but I don't know, like, uh, it's hard to picture things functioning the way we're just so used to it you know i feel like i'm just yeah. so complicit i can't imagine extricating that system from my life and being able to function yeah i mean i i here's, here's a funny story like i was you know during the last year um like i was experiencing high levels of stress and high levels of obsessive compulsive behavior like i was mm-hmm. scrolling the feeds from the first thing in the morning all mm-hmm. day until the second i went to sleep and yeah. you know because you had all kinds of horrible things going on and your fight or flight response is just on high alert. Yeah. And it was affecting everything, my sleep, my appetite, everything. And then my therapist and my wife were like, you need to stop. And so <laughs> David, I did. please don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but I not only did I stop scrolling the bad stuff like news, but also anything good. Because I realized I'd been cluttering my brain like some hoarder, you know. So mm-hmm. good stuff, bad stuff, any of it, I just kind of stopped for weeks. And then... 
when I meditated, I realized I flashed really hard back to when I was in high school. And I, I felt like I was sitting in my room again, just surrounded by magazines and books and tapes and my friends. And um, I, I realized that that was sort of the last time I, ha- I really had true headspace mm-hmm. until the internet started to creep into it. And I remember that time, it was great. You made plans and you, you just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> More with David Yoon about Version Zero and the internet in general in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. curious to ask you a little bit about genre because this is your first adult novel and you've also written two YA books uh-huh. I, th- I think there's some obvious differences between the two I mean you know I imagine in a book like this you can like gore is one example curse you know like there are things for adult audiences that are just like I feel like you can get away with a little easier than maybe you could with YA not to say that yeah. YA isn't super sophisticated on its own um, but I was curious if there was something that's that surprised you about writing an adult book that you weren't expecting, but that you found you could do maybe more easily or just differently than you could with YA? Um, well, my wife, Nicola, is also yeah. a YA author and you know she wrote Everything, Everything. And The Sun is mm-hmm. also a star and her latest is Instructions for Dancing. But like we, we talk about stories constantly. It's actually mm-hmm. a problem in the house. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, this subject of like the difference between YA and adult comes up a lot. And what we've been able to figure out is that YA always, no matter, because YA can be really bloody and really dark. Um, it can. I mean, especially if you think about something like The Hunger Games. I mean, those are totally. brutal books. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little kids die. I mean, it's messed up. But <laughs> but they always end on a note of hope. There's always an mm. underlying hope for the story. And so no matter how dark things get, and adult books aren't always necessarily writing from a place of hope. In, in adult, it's perfectly okay to write in, in a total state of despair and just leave it there. Hmm. Leave it unresolved. Uh, and I thought for the internet, especially, the jury's very much out. I mean, the internet is very much unresolved on whether it's hopeful or full of despair. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I figured this should be an adult book. That makes a lot of sense. There's a question that comes up a couple times in the book that I thought was really interesting. It's about what enough is. And it's talked about kind of in a financial sense, but I think also an existential one. And it got me wondering, like, what's enough for you these days? Um, This is a question I grapple with all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what, what is enough? Because when I was in college, I remember all my stuff 
all my worldly possessions could fit in two suitcases. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. Now I think like that it means that something's wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I have so many, it's mostly books. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's really a question that I want, I would love people to come, come away thinking about like after reading version zero. I mean, the first question I want people to think about um, when they finish the book is, you know, has the internet been worth it? You know, mm-hmm. is it, we know all the trade-offs we make. We joke about it too. We're like, oh, Alexa is listening to me. Ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned perfume and Instagram served me an ad for perfume. So my phone is listening. Ha ha. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're, we're sort of like shrug about it. <laughs> so I want people to just ask themselves, has it been worth it? And the other thing is really this question of enough, um, not just in terms of how much money do you need or how much stuff in the house do you need, but also how much information do you need on a daily basis? Hmm. Um, when I talk about mental hoarding, um, what what I see people and myself included doing every day is from the moment we wake up, we begin, our, our brains are empty because we just slept and the dreams take care of our, our mental capacity. And we wake up and we start stuffing the room again with stuff. You know, here's a funny cat video. Here's a funny video. Here's a news article. When should you stop? Like, what's a healthy amount of things to, to own mentally? And that's another thing that I would love people to come away. Just kind of being aware of, you know, your your mind is a is, is a palace, you know, it's a sacred space. And it's, mm-hmm. it is you. So how do you take care of it best? Oh, I think that's really important. And I love that you're kind of setting up those two questions for people as they start to read this book, because I think they're both really important. And, and yeah, I'm not sure that the book necessarily answers either of those. But just to continue inviting the questions, I think is super important. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love asking questions like that. I, you know, um, I was was on a plane, we landed as soon as we got signal again. Um, these two obviously, you know, important Instagram influencers in front of me began scrolling and liking and checking and refreshing and scrolling. And, wow. and they moved so fast. It was kind of virtuosic in its own perverse way. Um, <laughs> but I was like, this is, you know, you're, you're drinking from fire hose here. You, it's, it's at a scale that humans can't handle. And yet mm-hmm. we're running as fast as we can to try to keep up. Um so I'm wondering, where is the limit, you know, from from human to inhuman? Well, you've invited me to reassess my own shit for sure. <laughs> so how are your internet habits? Tell me about yours. I feel like I have pretty good boundaries, but um, I do spend a lot of time, especially, you know, I've been working from home for a while now, just sort of like going back, like, let's do Twitter, like Instagram, like just kind of back and forth. Did I get any uh-huh. texts? Do I have any emails? What's on Twitter? What's on Instagram? Did I get any texts? Did I, you know, and it's mindless. It's like, you know, I'm not even thinking about pushing the buttons. It's just like, what's going on here? What's going on here? Okay, great. Good. You know? Yeah, totally. It's like that scene from Portlandia where, where Fred Armisen is caught in the, in the laptop phone tablet spiral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, right. It's like, yeah. Do I need this many screens? Like, no, for sure. No, but here we are. I know. Here we are. On that note, David Yoon, (laughs) thank you so much for talking with me. This was a fascinating conversation. Thanks, and I'm sorry I don't have all the answers to the internet. I'll try harder (laughs) in the next book.
Yoon is the author of Version Zero. It is our Nerd Out Book Club pick for this month. Read it and then tell us what you thought about it. Did it make you reevaluate your relationship with the internet? What was your favorite part? Would you read a sequel? Let us know by recording yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdoutpodcast at gmail.com. Do it before Friday, July 23rd. And then tune in on Tuesday the 27th for our super spoilery discussion. In a very meta move now, I'm going to tell you you can keep in touch with us on the internet. I post many book reviews at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram and our Nerdette Headquarters group on Facebook is full of book nerds. You can join up there at facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brandon Banazak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.